Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to another Disney at Play podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with us. And uh, we're excited today because we are going to look at one of the very best parks in the world, if not the best, Tokyo Disney Sea. Last week, we've had a chance to talk about Tokyo Disneyland, and before that, Hong Kong and Shanghai. It's all part of our uh, what we love best about the Disney parks, and uh, we just invite you to sit back and, and enjoy. Also, we would welcome you visiting us at DisneyAplay.com, where we have plenty of photos videos and links that support the things we're going to be talking today about in the uh, in the podcast. So without further ado, let's talk Tokyo Disney Sea. David Zanola, we are so glad to have you back with us because I just it wouldn't be talking Tokyo without you, buddy. So thank you for joining us. Well, it's been a good. This is a this is my favorite park, so I'm ready. To, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to discuss it because I actually <laughs> should. I mean, I. Technically, should have been there in about a month and a half. So I'm. Uh, this will be my my way. This this will be catharsis for me to talk through where I, <laughs> where I should have been. Happy to provide you whatever therapy you need at this time. Just don't charge friend. me Just... the rate of a typical therapist, and we'll begin. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, we're not going to be about how do you make uh, how do you tour this and how what's the best strategy for getting around. That's a whole different thing. We could take any of these lands and go in depth. Uh, but as we enter the park, I just want to say there's this globe with this water falling all around it. And I'm going to put a link in my, uh, again, the show notes uh, to an article I wrote about how Imagineers and, and the Oriental Land Company decided on that globe. Originally, the Imagineers was, were planning on a lighthouse but they ended up going with the globe and why they ended up going with the globe and why the lighthouse is actually on the backside. Um, and honestly, why Duffy the bear is next to the lighthouse is, is, a, is another article. So I'm not going to go there. But what we do do is we go into Mediterranean Harbor. And we should also mention that there is this, and this is on my bucket list. So next time I'm going, I've just pretty well decided to throw down the gauntlet. I'm staying at the Maricosta at least one night while I'm there. It is uh, really one of the few hotels that truly sit at, uh, you know, California, Disney's California uh, uh, Hotel, which is uh, just a great hotel. Um, sits at the entrance of California Adventure on the side. But this and Disneyland Hotel, Disneyland Paris sits at the front. This one sits at the front as well and straddles the uh, entire Mediterranean Harbor. Wow, it is it is a phenomenal hotel and it's on my bucket list to be uh, visiting next. Um, the harbor uh, has never had a signature attraction that was a biggie up until uh, just recently where Soren uh, has made its premiere mm. and uh, and neither of us we've both been on Soren more times than we can count but neither of us have been at this version which has I don't think the the Soren attraction is so very cool and worth waiting on as much as there is a queue that is very interactive or not interactive but uh, it's just it's just very, very clever. Um, uh, any comments you want to make on on that attraction? No, I uh, haven't actually. Um, I haven't been there since it would have opened up. I mean, I I got to see the outside building uh, when I was there. It would have been June, late late May, early June, twenty nineteen, uh, and they were the building was there, the structure was there, you could see how grand it would be, but it wasn't open, so I didn't get to see inside, and I'm one of these that I don't typically like to look at interior pictures and that kind of stuff, just because I like to take that in fresh myself, so I haven't seen it, but I've actually been inside, I, have, I haven't stayed at the Miracosta, um, but I had a friend that did, so I got to tour the room, and it is, it's a very, very large and spread out re uh, resort, picture kind of like, um, uh, boardwalk or, or maybe even better yacht and beach club are at Walt Disney World how depending on where your room is you could be at very very far ends 
um, of that area. It feels like that. A lot of walking to get to those edge of the rooms. But if you're facing the harbor itself, I mean, you just have a fantastic view and you can just people watch all day. And there's a lot of really uh, neat Easter eggs in some of the artwork on the walls as a way to kind of be a tribute to uh, Disney history. Um, there are a couple of attractions at Mediterranean Harbor um, that I think are are worthy of overviewing. I think my my technique for actually going there is that one of the very very first things I do after I get a fast pass is actually go on the Venetian gondolas, which is very slow boarding, not a longest line ever, but slow boarding. But if you it is as close to being in Venice as anything can possibly be, and the Jap and and we'll have a, we have a video on our show notes page. The cast members have uh, incredible musical talent and sing Italian arias as you go down the canals. It's it's quintessential lost in another land kind of uh, experience that I think is is truly. Uh, remarkable. Uh, any comment you have on that? or Yeah, so the only thing that is frustrating about that is, because you mentioned going in the morning, the timing of the two Mediterranean Harbor attractions, this and then um, the steamships, uh, that you can kind of take basically their, 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 their ferry boat around. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they, they, they run at very odd times based on when there are lagoon shows and based on when Fantasmic is or was. Um, and so, like, it could be the the gondolas are, we're only going to run for two hours or an hour and a half, and then we're shut down from this time to this time. And that's a lot harder to get the, that information than you would think. And so you really have to make this a priority if it's something you want to do. Likewise, uh, the steamships that, that then, you know, tour, they don't, they basically go stop to stop. And so, so there's there's only a couple of times from a couple of different stations, like a very small window throughout the day, that you can get on those transit steamers to then take a round trip tour where you don't have to get off and walk around and get back in line. It just takes you around. So I've learned that that's one of the first things I do after I get a fast pass is I'll find out on that day what is the schedule where that steamer line goes round trip so that I can make sure that I'm there so I can take advantage of that because you get some really cool views. Uh, the only other thing I think we should mention in terms of attractions is fortress exploration. Oh, yeah. Um, the the big fortress castle-like thing on the other side of the lagoon. Uh, what do you love about that? That's just a fun place to, n- no pun intended in this case, but just to explore. Because uh, you can walk around some places, some areas that you would never imagine would actually be in a Disney um, theme park. Uh, the adventure itself is only in Japanese. There's no English translation, so that makes it a little challenging. But you don't need to do that to still explore. And if you're a, if you're a photographer, or if you're somebody, even if you don't have a super fancy camera, if it's just your phone, and now the phones are, are super nice in terms of cameras, but you can get some really cool pictures with you in them or not in them of that Mediterranean harbor area if you just take an hour to an hour and a half to just walk around and explore. And it never seems like those castle explorations are really crowded with people. Um, if they no. if they have, then maybe it's been at a time I haven't been in them. But, I mean, there are some times where it seems like I have the place to myself and I'm just walking around for a long time. And so um, it's... A, Even in the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah, middle of the day. And, yep. and not a bad place to just hunker down yep. when there might be a passing storm. I mean, there is a, a lot of indoor portions to that. And you have eaten at Magellan's. I have. I ate at Magellan's on my first trip there. It was one of those where their dining system is not nearly as simple to use, especially not in English, uh, as the ones might be here in the States. So I didn't get a reservation in advance. I tried, but I couldn't. And so we then, uh, basically, right when the park opens, I walked to the door and found out when they were opening up standby or walk-up reservations, got in line, and I had no problem getting a table for later that night. And it's uh, I mean, it's, it's fantastic food. You know, it's award-winning in terms of its design. And it's just a, it's just a stunning restaurant to be inside. Uh, if you have picky eaters, probably not ideal, uh, just because it's more difficult to find food for picky eaters there. But I'm a quasi-picky eater, and I still found something. And it was just a cool experience to, to check off the Disney bucket list. Uh, lots of... Uh... 
uh, clues to Society of Explorers and Adventurers C. Yeah. Um, in there, so definitely check that out. Um, you know, I was thinking about the fact that when I do tours, I often take people down Main Street and we'll go into the shops and I'll show how one shop goes from a kind of a masculine tone, darker, richer colors to a feminine tone, lighter um, colors and so forth. I was thinking today how Tokyo Disney is almost the feminine park and to Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea is almost the masculine park. Uh, you have as the centerpiece of Tokyo Disneyland a beautiful castle. The centerpiece is Fantasyland. Much more of that lighter, um, fanciful, feminine look. Here, the centerpiece of of Tokyo Disney Sea is is very organic, very dark. It is Mount Prometheus, which is a volcano. Mysterious Island is that centerpiece of the park, and um, and plays much more on again those those darker, heavier, um, thicker, richer details, um, which probably makes this land my favorite of all the lands. Um, I I just there's no end of how much I think we both love Journey to the Center of the Earth. Yeah, um, which is just share your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, so it's a, basically a mix. How would I describe this? Um, I mean, it feels like Test Track a little bit, a, a somewhat similar system. Uh, just storytelling at its at its highest. I mean, that land, if I, had, if I was told that I would only be able to visit one land in a Disney park for the rest of my life, it would hands down be Mysterious Island. I just love walking in that center area. You can't feel, you can't tell that you're anywhere else. I mean that there's nowhere else around you. You feel like you're completely enclosed in in this in this area. Um, it feels different from day and different at night. Uh, it's got a, a Nautilus sub sitting in the water. You can't do anything with it, but it's sitting there. And I remember riding twenty thousand leagues in Orlando back in the day, so that's pretty cool. Their twenty thousand leagues under the sea uh, is a much different attraction here, and I love that as well. And it's got my uh, my favorite food item in anywhere uh, in the Tokyo parks, which is a gyoza dog. So basically, uh. it's a uh, it's like a steamed bun. But inside of that bun is uh, gyoza meat, which is basically like a Japanese dumpling, like a Japanese pork dumpling. And I don't know why it's so good, but it's my absolute favorite snack. I've had them as early as they will open in the morning for breakfast. Yeah. I may go back there at night. And again, it sounds really weird because you're like dough and, and sausage. That doesn't, that doesn't sound appetizing. It is, we've talked about the food in Tokyo last week, and we'll continue to talk about it again here, but no more than, than that. It's just an absolute good snack. However, the line is typically ridiculously long. I remember sending my son um, to, to grab a couple while I was um, calling home because of the, you know, the, the time zone. So he wanted to go do it, so he went to grab it. And I want to say he was in line for 45 minutes to an hour to the point where I got panicked. And I thought... What has happened to my son? Where's he gone? And I was looking around for him, and he doesn't have a phone, so he had no way to contact me. But we're still within the very same close area, and I felt perfectly safe, but it panicked me. And so I went down, and he said, I'm still in line. And poor little kid was just, I mean, little, he's, he's, he's 12 now. Um, but, I mean, he was just standing there, and he said the line was just forever. And it was. He was in line for about an hour. Once he bit into those things, it, it was totally where he said, he looked at me and said something to the effect of, this was worth it. And I said, yes. So they yes, used it is. to be served at a little kiosk refreshment station. They're now served at the Nautilus Galley, which is downstairs. Right. I don't know if that's where he lined up. But yep. what I love yep. about that little area is it just sits right there at the edge of the water. Uh -huh. You see the boats going by that you, that David had mentioned earlier. You see the Nautilus sub right there. It It is a. It, 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 this. This. I agree with David. This is probably the one land I would be okay with subjecting myself to if I only could choose one for the rest of my life. And yet it's a very small land. It's a circular area. If you've never been to it before, it bases itself on an IP, which is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. If you go through that film back from the 1950s, you'll recall that he goes to an island and he goes underneath 
uh, the island, and the island has a volcano, and in the middle there's this body of water surrounded, you know, it's a ring of islands, so to speak. And that's what is the, um, the concept behind this island. And it's just, it, 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 takes, it takes you to a different place. And the detail, the fire on the volcano, the, the whole journey to the center of the earth, um, wow, the lava monster uh, below when you get to it, it's, it's a little bit like a test track ride. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of its design, not a very, it doesn't go very fast, very long, but it does go around the perimeter of the mountain. Um, 20,000 leagues is a little disappointing to me. Not it, it, not because it doesn't go under water, which I just, just let you know, it doesn't go under water. It works more like Peter Pan's flight. It has, it's, it feels like you're under the water. And I think it does a great job of that. My only problem with it is I don't care for the Martian-like creatures at the end of the ride. Mm. It takes me out of the story too much. I can see now, that. Mind you, going back to the Magic Kingdom one, they based that just like they did the submarine voyage at Disneyland, and it had a sea, monster, sea serpent, and it had mermaids, which did not show up in the original film of 20,000 Leagues. But... That that just kind of kind of leaves me kind of funky, but the rest of it is so good. And uh, Mermaid Lagoon is what you come to as you cross pass through Mysterious Island. Um, this is so so just to have a contrast. There is this jumping jellyfish attraction at Disney California Adventure, and they have the same attraction. At Tokyo Disney Sea, it's the same thing. But then they add five other little fun attractions indoors, plus three, I believe, two or three on the outdoors of the attraction. And and it whether you're inside or outside, it feels like the Little Mermaid. You are under the sea. And uh, they, the, the theming and the detail, and by the way, this is, this is ground zero for where you want to be in the heat of the afternoon. Because this is the one place you can just wander around for an hour or so and enjoy. Um, I am almost uh, embarrassed to say that it, was, it took my fifth or sixth trip to Tokyo before I actually finally went on their signature attraction, which is um, the Mermaid Lagoon Theater. And you've been on that, David. Yeah, so that place, I don't know that I've visited that Little Mermaid area, and, and here's why, and if you've never been there, this is un hard to understand in terms of context. You can see the castle as you're walking to another couple of lands. Like it's, you Triton's can clearly Kingdom. see it. Yeah. But you don't know that there's anything else there. And so I did not know there was anything inside because as you walk <laughs> well, as you walk by, you can see the little roller coaster they have out there. And so you think, oh, this is like their Toontown kind of, right? Yes. And so I didn't know. And about that size. It, right. And so I didn't know. So I was walking around. It was the last day. Um, the first time I went there, very last day, and I, I, I ended it because you can park hop on your on your last two days. And so I spent the morning at, at Disneyland, was walking around Tokyo Disney Sea, and thought, you know, I haven't looked around and gotten any pictures over here yet. And then I walked inside and I went downstairs and went, what? Uh, it just, it's it, it blows you away. I mean, there's nothing that's going to blow your mind in there attraction-wise, but it's just... It's it's really neatly done in terms of its design. And the Little Mermaid Theater is basically, in Japanese, a retelling, kind of, of Little Mermaid. Uh, but they're all on, like, harnesses, kind of like uh, in... Cirque du Soleil. Uh, right, right. Cirque du Soleil. Or maybe in uh, Finding Nemo, the musical at Animal Kingdom, when Dory and Marlin have those harnesses and they're doing the yeah. just keep swimming and it looks like they're, they're, they're swimming but they're spinning around. That's basically what they are. Here's the problem, though. I own, almost always end up in that land near the end of the day. And I've told you before, when you put me in a dark theater with air conditioning at the end of the day, <laughs> I don't think I've ever stayed awake for that entire performance. Not that it's a bad performance by any means, but you sit me down. I've been walking for 10 miles already that day. I'm hot. I'm tired. 
turn the lights down, I'm out. So uh, I need to have them, I need to go try that someday, like at 10 o'clock in the morning and see what happens. So my son drags me to the Voyage of the Little Mermaid show at Disney's Hollywood Studios all the time. And it's a cute little show, and it's fine. We, David and I have gone back and forth about <laughs> whether this is David. This is David's nap, nap, nap place. It is. Studios. Yes. But, you know, I and I've done my share of napping. It's a cute little show. If you think this is that, oh, no. Oh, you no. You are totally, this, this just blows, this just blows everything uh, away. And... Um, you definitely have to check it out. You're just gonna be, you're you're gonna be, you're just gonna be shaking your head and going, "How is it that these people get this and we get that? And what's the thinking there?" So you just you you just gotta love it. Arabian Coast has one of our very 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 favorite attractions, which I speak of all the time when I do my signature farewell on our podcast. Um, and uh, so I'm going to let you, David, just uh, please tell us about Sinbad's uh, storybook voyage. Well, so it's a, I, I mean, I, I, wouldn't you say that probably the closest thing you could compare it to, if you were going to compare it to two rides, ride-wise would be like Pirates in Small World in terms of the exact same boat type system. Mm -hmm. uh, very simple animatronics, but as we mentioned in, in Disneyland in Tokyo, very well done, very kept up, does not look out of date. Uh, but what makes that, that well, there are two things that really make that attraction special. And one of them is it's got a cute little sidekick. His name is Shandu, his little tiger. Uh, when you walk out, there is Shandu merchandise if it's, if, if it's still left. It's got a cute little voice, and he's just my, um, my daughter. That's what we brought her home was a Shandu plush, and she sleeps yep. with it about every night. In fact, when we told her we had to cancel our trip for this coming year, the first thing she said was, no, Shandu. Like, no, sorry, you won't be able to see Shandu. We were also going to visit Asia for a month. You know that, right? But it was no, Shandu was the was the crushing crushing variable there. Um, but the other thing is it's got, the, it's got a song written by Alan Menken. Uh, and the best song written by Alan Menken ever, anywhere, I don't care what you say, better than Whole New World in my view. It is. It is. Phenomenal. It is absolutely, it's not just a good song and it's recorded well. I mean, there's a full choir and an orchestra. I, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it was a symphonic production, which I'm not saying that any of the other Disney theme park music isn't, but this just feels like it was done at a different level. But it is the catchiest song. And before I had ever written it, I was reading up on it and everybody saying, this is the one thing you have to do in Tokyo Disney Sea. All these, mm -hmm. you know, Disney blogs. And I went and they said, and that word, that song is going to be stuck in your head the rest of the day. And I said, as a naysayer, not no way. If you tell me that's going to happen, then it's never going to happen. And I couldn't get it out of my head the whole day. And I could sing it right. I could, I'm not going to, but I could sing it right now. That's how memorable it is. And it just, all of those things put together, it basically checks all of the boxes for what makes an awesome, uh, for lack of a better phrase, Disney ride. It's, uh, it's the last ride that I do in tokyo on every yep. single trip yep you want to end and take a very slow walk very slow out of walk the park yeah <laughs> i have done the same thing and let me tell you it it now david was uh overdoing it he really can't sing the song because it's in japanese <laughs> but you can hum that song and it always ends with the english words compass <laughs> of your heart and uh it's just it is a beautiful and three audio animatronics that are enormous. Yep. There is a, a bird, a whale, and a giant. And they're huge. And and so this is not, and colorful, it is so many things. I don't know why Disney feature animation hasn't done a, 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 a film on this. This this could be a great, a great Disney feature. Well, and you're going to look at it and go, did I miss this Disney feature? Well, and, you know? and, and remember, I mean, I, please understand anybody listening. I have no idea about the financial ends of movie studios and how much all of that costs. You know, you will see a show and somebody will say, we did this on a really low budget. And I'll say, this looks fantastic. What do you mean? This is a low budget. So I have no idea, but you think that this would be perfect for them to put like a six or eight episode series out following Sidbad's adventures on Disney plus. 
Um, but again, I don't I don't know how complicated that is, but it seems like it would be it would be perfect. However, unless you've been to Tokyo, nobody has really heard of it. So it may just be a, they don't think it's going to it would land outside of Tokyo, which is unfortunate because I think it would be it would be so successful if you put that in Adventureland in the Magic Kingdom. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Knock off the back of Morocco. Oh, at, yeah, at that's Pop, true. That's true. Yeah. Where where I love the little restaurant back there. I don't love the restaurant back there. I love the look of the restaurant back <laughs> there. I don't care for the restaurant back there. Nobody does and nobody's going back there. But you'd have huge crowds going back there if you had that attraction attached next to it. Yeah, I would, I would, and, I would hope so. However, you and I both know that there is hardly ever a line hardly ever a line and so maybe there wouldn't be a long attraction maybe it's just well, disney parks nerds i don't know uh maybe so maybe so i think i think that it's kind of again it's one of those best kept secrets it's the the, the attraction is in the corner of the park you have really you really got to be looking for it. it it doesn't stick out yeah with a blur and marquee there's a banner drape uh there are other things to detract you and the front and the coast is a very long um, uh, box shape. And the front half, there's almost two halves to Arabian Coast. And the front half has an Aladdin-themed show, which isn't a bad show. Um, but, um, and, and, and honestly, some, that fills up more than it seems Sinbad does at times. Um, yes. The theming through Arabian Coast is remarkable on any level and every level. Um, a little reminiscent of the Arabian Coast kind of feel that you have in Islands of Adventure, but on a much grander scale. We moved to Lost River Delta, which was Tokyo Disney's excuse to put in um, um, the Indiana Jones Adventure, which it's okay because it's the Indiana Jones Adventure. They they could have any excuse they want to be to be back, to be in a theme park, um, and there's some other aspects of that themed land. It's probably I love the theme of the land. I just it's just hard to really dwell in that land. It almost seems like. There's not a lot of spaces to really take up a chair and just kind of enjoy the view. There, you don't see the view very much in any given point because it's kind of like an adventure land. It kind of weaves and you can't, you know, a lot of jungle landscaping. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on Lost River Delta? So I actually, uh, <laughs> this isn't a surprise. You probably people who have never seen me that are just listening probably wonder, um, what a what a big guy I am when I talk how much about the food is kind of my focus. Um, but I, I actually love in Lost River Delta. Uh, I love some of the food options in <laughs> that in that area. Um, I think there's a couple of uh, really good um, options that are that are unique. Uh, there's a there's a Mexican uh, cuisine restaurant called Miguel's El Dorado Cantino, and there's another one called the Yucatan Base Camp uh, that has um, pork, chicken, that kind of stuff. And they're never they never seem to be very busy. And at least in one of the cases, there's multiple levels. And so I love. It sounds really lame, and it's spoiled because I get to, I'm fortunate enough, and I understand that, to get to visit the Disney parks often. But when I have a quick service meal, I love to be able to just find a place that's not swarming with people that I can sit down and I can charge my phone and I can, you know, uh, I can relax and take my backpack off but also have good food. And um, I love both of those places. Like, it's hard for okay. me to make sure that I can plan to visit both of those restaurants on a trip. So Indiana so, Jones is Indiana Jones. It's a it's a blast. It's really well done and kept up there. That's true. That's true. In fact, in some ways better than Disneyland's version. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so if you love Disneyland's version, you really love this version. I, I'm going to censor David's remarks. <laughs> I, I need you to understand, David comes from the upper Midwest. So... Yes. His ability to critique Mexican food has just been thrown to the wind. I That's am, fair. however, from Phoenix, Arizona, and I can tell you the food, they ain't pulling it over there. However, I do agree with you. It actually is the one place you can really pull up a seat and just relax. So I want to. I, I love that. I want to clarify your uh, passive-aggressive insult there. <laughs> so uh, basically, what I meant is for theme park food. 
<laughs> it's 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 good Mexican for theme. I don't think it's as good as the quick service location in in Epcot by any means. Um, but when you're in a theme park and your choices are typically, if you're used to American theme parks and you're eating with kids and you think, oh, this is going to be, you know, we're going to have to deal with hot dogs and chicken nuggets and that kind of stuff. It's nice to have food, uh, quick service food options that are different. And so I, for theme park food, I think it's good. Is it better than our local Mexican restaurant or like we have a taco food truck in our town? Not at all. Um, but for theme park food, I, I don't I don't think it's bad. But um, yes, we're not all from Arizona. So <laughs> yeah, let, um, one more thing before we leave Lost River Delta. Um, I do love, and I don't think it's given enough notice. I love Raging Spirits. Uh, as a roller coaster ride, I I really quite enjoy it, and I think if uh, especially if you try it at night, it's really kind of fun. And um, I wouldn't would I skew for more than thirty minutes on it? Probably not. But um, if I have, I, and I think. Is there a single rider on that puppy? Well, it's it's fast. There is passable. a fast pass. It's fast pass. And so it, that's how I would do that attraction. I yeah. would not do it without a fast pass. Well, the thing about the fast pass days. too is there are typically fast passes since it's not one of the most popular attractions. Um, it's not as popular as Tower of Terror or Toy Story or Journey to the Center of the Earth. You're th- there's typically going to be fast passes still available later in the day than there would be for those other three attractions. I mean, fast passes for Journey to the Center of the Earth are probably gone within an hour and a half of the park opening. Um, but uh, So you can typically ride it. It's also a really good uh, gateway upside-down roller coaster for if you have somebody in your family that says, I'll never do an upside-down coaster. This, compared to Rock and Roller Coaster in Orlando, the thrill level is not even comparable. Raging Spirits is very tame. There's only one inversion. And so my kids, who had never been on an upside-down coaster, were like, I don't know they want to do this. And I said, it's totally fine. It's tame. And then they said, oh, well, maybe the next time we're in Florida, we should do Rock and Roller Coaster because we think we can take an upside-down coaster now. So um, that's that's a neat little thing about it as well. So we head over to Port Discovery which is a waterized version of Tomorrowland. Um, And the big new thing there, um, one of the more recent um, attractions um, that have been um, added is uh, Nemo and Friends Sea Rider. Um, Your thoughts on that? So it's basically a large motion simulator kind of like star tours just much bigger uh where you or like body wars maybe picture it more like a version of body wars and then instead of shrinking but, but down four times four times the size four uh, times the size that, that simulator one theater instead of multiple little cars um it's fun i mean it's for what it is it's it, it's fun i would prefer if i get to choose between the two i'm going to choose aquatopia Uh, which is right next door, which they look like bumper cars, but they're not. And they're all on a trackless system. Uh, And so they all kind of move around and you think that you're going to run into somebody, but you're not. That is one that typically gets very busy line wise during the day. Um, But that's a, that's a, that would be more of a don't miss for me than, than the sea rider attraction. Amen. In fact, uh, and we have a link to it on our show notes page. We, We have video to it. Um, that I've taken at night, it's oh, and that's a great time to line up. Is at night, it's often the line is very. The back half of this park is a great time to go on just about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think you almost want because I'll, I'll address that in a minute. But um, this Aquatopia thing is what, on in my view, what Disneyland and magic kingdom need to do to their park they need it might be difficult at disneyland with this space i would take the old motorboat ride Mm. area on the other side of what what is nemo i would i would take out the autopia tomorrowland speedway in magic kingdom and put this in the kinetics of this ride moving around the feel of the water which cools down the general area. This is just, it just makes me want to hit my head on the wall that this is not in more parks. Um, I think it's a great attraction to add in. 
and um, it is actually one of the first GPS styles. So Rise of the Resistance mm-hmm. and Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. These are these are descendants of this of this ride technology that I think this actually may have been one of the very first because it opened up with the park um, in two thousand one. So um, such a a very um, very fun little ride. Let me, I think I want to just stop here and say that if there's a problem with the design of this park, it's that if you can't catch these little boats, which stop at different places along the way, you do a lot of walking. It's yeah. almost a grand circle tour. Mm-hmm. And so you can appreciate that because Epcot's a little bit like that. You get to a place in World Showcase, you just have no other choice than to go around the lagoon. It's not a big lagoon like that per se on the back half of the park, but the paths kind of limit anything other than having to really walk around a lot. And that's that's my disappointing. I, I know that many times I'll get there in the afternoon and I'm, or by the time, if I've worked my way back there and I'm there by two o'clock in the afternoon, 2.30, I'm really tired and getting out of the park is a real problem. The boats are the answer, but usually the boats can have a 30, 40, 50 minute wait. Uh, and and why would you wait in line, you know, to go that long on, on a boat to take you to the front of the park? So one of the solutions is that does help. And and one of the things I do love is the Disney Sea Electric Railway, mm-hmm. which takes you from Port Discovery into American Waterfront, the last land we haven't covered. Um, and there can be a little bit of a queue for that, but it tends to move pretty pretty good compared to the boats. And, uh, and it could save you a little ride, and it's a nice little view as you, as you go on that. Um, what American Waterfront is many things. Uh, what stands out in your experience at the American Waterfront? Uh, I mean, I would have to be the Tower of Terror uh, since it's a, first of all, Tower of Terror is one of my favorite attractions, but it's the third different version of that attraction, different than the Guardians of the Galaxy Breakout in California, different than the version uh, in Orlando. And so same drop system, but entirely different story uh, with Imagineer Joe Rohde as the actor that is uh, uh, Harrison Hightower who is a member of the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, and he basically uh, has uh, found this this idol that people think might be cursed on some of his travels, and uh, crazy things ensue. But, but it's just a fun, that is a long queue. If you do not get a fast pass for that, and, and or get on that early in the day, you are going to pay for that dearly with your time. I mean, two hours, if not more, later throughout the day. Um, and Japan is hot during the summer, and so not a lot of that queue is, um, maybe about half of it is outdoors, I guess, but enough where by the time you get on it and get through other stuff, you will not want to wait in a line that long. It's totally worth a two-hour wait, but you'd think you'd like to try to avoid that. So why um, we love Tower of Terror so much here is not the ride system. The best ride system ever for a Tower of Terror is Disney Hollywood Studios version where your vehicle moves across the fifth dimension and then goes into the drop tower. That whole concept and idea is just superb. But when they built Disney California Adventure, they came up with this idea of two boarding areas, three elevators, two boarding areas on two floors, and you just kind of take turns with one floor and the next going. And and so I think the ride system is a lesser ride system at Disney California Adventure. Notwithstanding, when they, and they repeated that in, in Paris. So if you still love the old Dis- Tower of Terror at Disney California Adventure, uh, hey, feel free to head on out to, to Paris for that. What they did when they got to Tokyo is they did take that ride system, which again, is an inferior ride system to what I think is the ride system at, at Walt Disney World. But they, they themed this thing up to a level that is just unbelievable. And the beauty of this tower, the intricacy of the lobby, 
the story and the little guy or little tiki guy who's getting us all in trouble all of that is so so cool that you forget that you're in the lamer um drop shaft i will also say that since guard since california adventure changed their tower of terror to guardians of the galaxy you also now forget how lame <laughs> that ride system was to begin with because they've done a superb job with guardians um, but as a Tower of Terror experience, this is a great attraction. Oh, yeah. You will think when, in the old days, and this is before Soren, um, but in the old days, crowds were going in mass in this direction to get a fast pass. You would have thought it would have been for Tower of Terror. Oh, but no, it was going to... Um, uh, to the trolley area to get a Midway Mania Pass and a Toy Story Mania Pass. And um, that exterior to Toy Story Mania is crazy beautiful. Once you step inside and once you go on the ride, you have repeated your experience at either California or Florida. So I, of all the places I would... I would, of all the major ride attractions, I would be shoving this one to the back in lieu of everything else in the park. Now, mind you, the crowds are not heading toward, toward Midway Mini anymore. Now they're heading in the different direction towards Soren uh, to get a fast pass first thing in the morning. And that's become the mad, crazy thing. But, but, um, but definitely take pictures uh, of the exterior <laughs> of the attraction. And if there's no wait and you love Midway Mania, go for it. Yeah. Um, other things that you love about American Waterfront? No, I think, uh, I mean, I always like walking around uh, the ship they have there. That's just a real neat, um, I use, use the word neat. I don't really know that I have another description for it. I know that's a very uh, cheap term. But I just think it's, a, it, it's definitely something that, again, I always use the word unique that we don't have uh, in any of the American parks that I would typically visit. And it's just interesting to walk around. Uh, there is a restaurant, uh, like a little bar and a lounge up top uh, that a lot of people like to sit down and, and relax. But uh, it's connected to also that uh, there's a whole Duffy-themed area. And again, Duffy's only available now, apparently, in the international parks. Um, but he is huge in the international parks. So if you visit with anyone that's a Duffy the Disney Bear fan, that's where you got to go. So there is a little quiet corner to Tokyo Disney Sea, and it's all themed around Cape Cod. It's part of the larger part of American waterfront, but it, but it is really just a, a small mini land. It's very quaint, very clapboard architecture, very sense of you're in Maine type of thing. It's the dead corner of the park. Dead, dead, dead. So the answer was, put Duffy there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if anything has picked up the volume of traffic, it's, it's Duffy. So, so that's helped that area. Again, you want to look at my little article about that lighthouse and you'll understand why in part that it's dead. Um, because the lighthouse symbols, symbolizes something to the Japanese that it doesn't symbolize to us as Americans. So check out that link. I also have another link, by the way, that I'll put in the show notes page about the water fountain in front of the Tower of Terror. And this gives you just a sense of how crazy the thematic detail and the thinking is in these lands. Um, I love the theming in American Waterfront. And um, this little article just on the drinking fountain, it will take you to a whole nother topic. I mean, there are rabbit holes to be done here in this land. Uh, they just, great restaurants. I think you were trying to mention, you were mentioning, um, I've not done the SS Columbia uh, dining room, but I have done uh, the Roo Teddy Roosevelt Lounge. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, the one I was talking and about. And I'm not a drinker, but but it is a great place for, I think I had uh, fish and chips or something, or maybe a hamburger or something there. It just a, it was very, very quiet, uh, beautifully uh, adorned. You'll think the ship is a real ship. It's actually not. But but you'll think it's a real ship. And by the way, Tokyo Disney Sea, at certain key vistas, you can actually see the sea of Japan beyond Tokyo Disney Sea, so so that plays out to that to that water theme in in a in a pretty interesting interesting way. I also will um, show a video for you 
that will give you a tour of American waterfront. It's on the big city vehicles. Again, it's just a great little get on this ride and just let it put around, but it's a great place to have a seat and see it all and take it all in. Yeah. Um, one of the big shows that is so popular here is Big Band Beat. And uh, that's actually if... one of the that's actually one of the lottery shows. Yes. And, but it's also a show that will take standby uh, guests if you for the I, th- I believe it's the first. It's typically the first show, but then they mm-hmm. sometimes, depending on crowds, will allow it for other shows. But people will line up, I mean, two hours in advance or so to be able to get into that. It's a fun show. I mean, it's fantastic. The entertainment in Tokyo is absolutely top notch. Um, if you've ever been to a big band show anywhere else in your local town, you're probably not going to see much different. Uh, but in terms of a Disney production, it's 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 definitely extremely well done. Have you? There is no place in the world where you will see a Mickey Mouse that beats the daylights out of a drum set of drums and then gets up and tap dances his way yeah. in in front of the crowd. I mean, where do you get a tap dancing drummer Mickey? <laughs> you yeah. know, it just doesn't exist. This guy is is amazing. And and the rest of the show is amazing. If you love jazz, you will not want to miss this show. Perfect performance. Uh, perfect musical performance. If you if you don't care about Mickey and the gang, that's okay. Just go for perfect um, jazz performances. And uh, they pride themselves on it. Uh, the waterfront is full of restaurants, full of crazy shops and, and places to check out. And, uh, and it's just, it's, it's, uh, you, get, you can get lost in American waterfront. It's, it's, it's so great. I should mention, uh, I think uh, we should mention that um, as a big and amazing as this park is, it is on a run to increase its size by adding not one, not two, but three themed areas to Frozen, to Peter Pan, and to Tangled. Each with their own dark rides or some kind of experiences. I think it's a similar boat ride um, on the Frozen one. But, um, and, and this is an interesting thing on the Peter Pan ride, because I'm thinking they're doing something a little, you know, are they, what are they going to do with Peter Pan that they haven't done with the dark ride in Fantasyland? Yeah. I'm thinking that maybe they're going to make it a grander dark ride, which Peter Pan deserves to be. Um, certainly the Shanghai version is grander, but I could still see that you could make it a much grander. Um, for instance, when you go to the E.T. attraction at, at uh, Universal uh, um, Florida, you'll see that you go over the cityscape, and it's a much bigger cityscape than you see uh, London in Peter Pan's right. So why not make that all the bigger and just, just really make this on a grander, bigger scale uh, as you experience? Go through more of Neverland's jungles and... and have more interactions with Captain Hook and so forth. So, well, and they could easily, you know, that being said, they could easily just close and shut down and tear down the Peter Pan's attraction in Disneyland if they really wanted to to plus the one here. They could just shut that down and do something else with that, and then or make it into one. a different, make it into a dark ride of a different theme. Right. Yeah. Because because who knows what's going to be popular at that time? Exactly. So so it and 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 with that uh, there will be. A new hotel that's built, and is it, 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 your understanding, David? It's I thought it was mine that you will also be able to enter Tokyo Disney Sea from that end. That's what I understand. Yes, which uh, will make that a big deal to me. I mean, I will want to stay there as well because I love the idea that I could not have to again get all the way back up to the front of the park because that new addition is pushing past Lost River Delta and Arabian Coast. So they're already going to the far corner of the park and pushing further back. So it's going to be it's going, going to be quite involved trying to uh it, it is a lot of walking in these parks and you're going to want to to 
And again, we'll, as that proceeds, we'll give more ideas about how to navigate that experience. But Mediterranean Harbor, we've come, we're kind of coming back to the front of the park. We should mention something about the shows in the front. It's hard to mention the shows in the front because unlike Disney's shows, which last forever, <laughs> you know, here at, at Walt Disney World, it seems like they keep changing up the show. Yeah. And they keep having a new show. And so new Easter show, new Christmas show, Fantasmic, they placed on the water with a big, big sorcerer hat in the middle. I thought they were getting ready to retire that. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as to what they ended up doing. Uh, we have a little piece of the finale of Fantasmic that we'll, we'll show on our show notes page. But I thought they were closing if they hadn't closed it already. I think they were going to close it at this time and then and then the pandemic closed the park uh, earlier. But maybe they had already closed it. No, anyway, it, it, was, it was supposed to have its final performance during what ended up being dates they were shut down. So I think the assumption yeah. is, is it's just, it's just done. Or, you know, they might just still allow it to lengthen out, but I haven't heard the announcement of what's going in its place, but I can rest assured whatever they're doing is, is crazy. Um, it, it's just going to be crazy. Um, they also do a strange thing. Um, and I don't think I, I shared this the right way last week because we talked a minute about the castle show at night at Tokyo Disneyland. But honestly, that's not a fireworks show. The fireworks show is a shared show between both parks. And from, from, it's better seen probably from Tokyo Disneyland because if you're standing you know, in the Central Plaza area, it tends to emanate kind of behind Cinderella Castle in the distance. From, from uh, uh, Tokyo Disney Sea, it's kind of in that direction behind where Soren has been built. So it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing. It's almost an afterthought. It's almost like there, how, how do we say um, farewell uh, that we do at the Magic Kingdom? It's, it's, uh, it's almost their farewell to everybody at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. uh, kiss goodnight, so to speak. Um, it's almost, it's almost an afterthought because what they do in the Harbor shows is just so over the top and both in terms of daytime and nighttime shows. So what else have we missed, David? We've covered a lot of things here. I don't think so. I think it's just a, it, it's, it's a fantastic park to just maybe better than any other Disney park. It's better. It's the best park, I think, to just walk around and explore. Yes, there are fun attractions, but I think you could easily spend a full day there exploring, you know, shopping, doing, getting snacks, that kind of stuff, enjoying some different food, and never step on a single attraction. I'm not saying you'd want to, but I think you easily could, and that's kind of what I love about it. I love to just, you mentioned, you know, just taking a slow walk out at the end of the night. I put myself as in the furthest part back of the park and then just take as long as possible because you, you never know when you're going to be back i mean this pandemic has has shown us that we can never really take for granted that these parks are going to be open when we want to go back so you never know when you're going to be back and especially from us coming over from the states it's such a long trip it's such a big experience that uh this is the park that i want to spend my my very last hours in in tokyo before i then board a a 13 hour flight the next day <laughs> If you're an individual who travels internationally a lot and you're thinking about making a stop at here, and then you could go for a day or two or three to check it out and, and be assured that you're probably maybe coming back another time on another trip. But if this is a bucket list item, you want to make sure you have many days to check yeah. these two parks out. You cannot do this park in a day. There is no way you can do this park in a day. And same with Tokyo Disneyland, in my view. And uh, you need a lot. And, and with the oppressive heat that, that you get in the middle of the summer, if you're going during the summertime, or really nasty, cold, cold weather in the winter, um, you can get some. And, and when it's really nice outside, you have crowds like you have never imagined. So it's, you've got some things working against you. 
the idea that you're going to go to a park and do it from you want to get there early but to do it from there until the very moment it closes that's a lot of energy i i did i what i don't know what i don't want to get into the semantics of how to enjoy the parks but i i i generally go back to my hotel at some point during the day mm. on almost all of these park visits and come back in the evening um, is that your experience, David? Yeah. So what I do in Tokyo, because it's so easy to get to the parks, assuming you're staying on the monorail line. And that's one quick distinction that I want to mention. I'm not going to, this is not a trip planning segment necessarily. However, it gives context to what we're talking about. So on the monorail line, which you have to pay to use the monorail at Tokyo Disneyland. And I think we talked mm-hmm. about that last time, but there's four stops. And so one stop each is for each park. And then there's a stop of their downtown Disney, which is their public uh, transit center. And then there's one of all of the, they, they call, they call them official Tokyo Disney resort hotels, but they're the, the Hilton's and the Sheridan's. And it's super easy to walk out of the park. I mean, right outside of the park. I mean, this is not like walking to the bus stop at Animal Kingdom or at Epcot or, you know, where you're walking 77 miles to get to one. Right out of the park. You can jump on the monorail, take it right back. There's buses to take you back to your hotel, although they're not really needed. But during the middle of the day, they kind of yeah. feel good. Go back, take your shoes off, shut the lights off, take a nap, or just take your shoes off and sit down and relax. You know, get a snack in your hotel or go swimming or something. Yeah. Um, and then it, what I love to do is I love to, cause I'll take my backpack with me, which has a lot of stuff in the morning, you know, umbrella, poncho, battery charger for my phone and all that kind of stuff. So I like to go back for about two hours, Recharge. plug my phone, plug my phone into charge. I know by that time of day, whether or not there's a likelihood of rain. And I love to go back then with no backpack whatsoever and, and finish the night out light. Um, so I'm not carrying that around the whole day. And I, I think it's so much easier very similar to if you were staying at a monoware resort at the Magic Kingdom in Orlando, how easily you can get to your resort and take a break. You can do that from both parks here in Tokyo. That, that, I, that is absolutely true. And, and that's only the tip of how you want to manage this experience. And so let me just say before we finish here, if you're looking to do this, may I suggest that you consider very carefully taking on one of David's uh, tours, uh, which not only includes Tokyo Disney, but uh, Hong Kong Disneyland and Shanghai Disneyland. It's an opportunity to see those those cities, and uh, and 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 uh, and even more. And you just it, there's so much. It's one thing to go to a new country, but you're going to make that kind of trip. You might as well see it all. You might yep. as well check out all the bu- all the boxes here, and and to navigate all three countries. Or well, three cities. I, Hong Kong technically kind of is part of China, but um, but to navigate all that, which is very different in each one, I really, 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 truly recommend that you that you that you check out David's um, offerings, which are so much more affordable than uh, Adventures by Disney, and you are not going to find anybody with Adventures by Disney who knows these Disney parks as well as David does. David's got it. David's going to have it. And if he doesn't, he's going to text me in the middle of my night and wake me up and tell me, what, 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 what? So, no, trust me. It's trust not my me, fault that a... you didn't know you didn't have Do Not Disturb on your phone. You've had an iPhone longer than I have. How do you not You have Do Not Disturb on? <laughs> that said, thank you, David. Thank you for joining us on this uh, last set of series. We're heading to Paris next, uh, but thank you for joining us. And uh, and it's just been fun. It's been fun talking about what what we love most. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us for this Disney at Play podcast. Disney at Play and Disney at Work are established to provide you the best podcasting, posts, videos, insights, lessons that you could possibly imagine. Disney at Play is dedicated to the fan in you, and we try to provide all sorts of ideas and concepts coming from all the different parks. Disney at Work provides insights from the happiest places on earth that you can adapt to your own business. 
If you'd like to know more about adapting these business ideas to your organization, please reach out to us. Listening is the best gift I can give you, and we are more than happy to offer you workshops, seminars, online tools, books, and so much more to help you and your organization improve. That's really the, the main business that I'm in, is to provide those kinds of learning and development solutions. And so we're more than happy to provide you any and all of those kinds of tools for you. Again, we appreciate you joining us. We appreciate those who can take a moment to go over to iTunes, maybe give us a good rating and maybe a word, uh, a good word for us. It's part of our efforts to try to get the word out and to get more uh, folks listening to what we have to share with them. Again, thanks for joining us. And in the words of Sinbad from his storybook voyage, that's uh, episode 37, it's in the link, be sure to follow the compass of your heart. Thanks again. Have a great day.